can't do anything right. No wonder my boss won't promote me and my wife doesn't respect me. God's not finished with me yet. I can be the man he created me to be at work and at home. I can't believe he's acting like that. What a jerk. He must be having a really hard day. Maybe God put me here to make a difference in his life. I just can't stop doing this. I'm so frustrated with myself. I will always be this way. I can do this through Christ's strength. He will help me overcome. Succeeding at the big things has a lot to do with the little things. Thoughts, words, actions. Awesome. If you want to get your message notes out, I want to go right into part four of our series we're calling Detox and looking at what the scripture says about how to have some big change in our lives. Um, I, I think... Our natural inclination is to imagine that big change in our lives happens whenever big things happen. Like would big change come from big things? And that's awesome. Just keep on playing that. I love that song. Um, But uh, we, we would think that big change happens because we do big things. But what we've been learning in this series, Detox is it's, it's actually a little bit different. In your notes, the statement that we've been going over week after week is simply this, that it's often the small things that no one sees that result in the big things that everyone wants. That big change does not re- require giant wholesale changes in our lives, but small adjustments in strategic areas. We've been talking about how our thoughts direct our lives, about how it's so important. The Bible says, as a man thinks or as a woman thinks in her heart, so are we. Like like our our thoughts are ruling our lives. See, the thoughts that we think determine the words that we speak. The words that we speak ultimately are are like the rudder, James, the author in, in the scripture would say, that it's like the rudder of our life that turns us. So if we're thinking negative thoughts, we're speaking negative words, which is causing us to do negative things and miss out on our destiny. Because our decisions, the things that we do, our habits, if you will, lead us to our destiny. What I know is that you and I both are what we do all the times. We are a product of what we do. We're not a product of what we do sometimes. We're a product of what we do all the time. Like the decisions that we make on a constant basis, that's why we are the way we are financially, because of the decisions we make financially. Relationally, we are the way we are because of the relational decisions that we're making in our career. Or you look at the area of your life, maybe it's physically. The, the reason that we are the way we are physically is not because of things we do sometimes, but it's because of the things we habitually do or habitually don't do. If I were to ask us the question this morning, who in this place is naturally disciplined? Who is naturally disciplined? I doubt we would get very many hands. He would say, yeah, it's no problem. I don't have any struggle or trouble at all with discipline. We would probably say that there are some areas of my life that I wish I could get in order. Could, could anybody be bold enough to raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I wish I could struggle. I struggle with some discipline that I wish I could get in control. Yeah, absolutely. We all struggle with disciplines that we wish we could change about our lives. And we think, I'm not a very disciplined person. But as I was putting this message together, I got thinking about this reality that, that we're probably a little more disciplined than we think we are. 
it just may not be about the right things. Um, I, I got thinking about whenever I discovered the TV show uh, 24 on Netflix. I don't know if you've ever seen 24, but if you haven't, don't watch it because you will be addicted to 24. You want to know, if just there are 24 episodes. Each episode is an hour. So when you watch a season, you have wasted a day of your life. <laughs> and there are, episodes, there are season after season, and every episode ends with a cliffhanger. Every single one of them. Every one of them, you're biting your fingernails. Every one of them, you're wondering, is Jack going to live? Is Jack going to die? Like, are the terrorists going to, you know, take over our nation? Are we going to be able to survive? All these things. And so whenever one episode went off, I press play on the next episode. Is he going to live? And then I press play on the next episode. And then I was very disciplined <laughs> to watch a season of 24 years ago whenever we discovered 24. Or, or, or maybe like um, my, my wife's... Uh, chocolate chip cookies. Over the holidays, uh, my wife makes these chocolate chip cookies that are like manna from heaven. Uh, they're like Jesus just in a cookie. I don't know how to describe it. It's amazing. And, uh, and, and I'm very disciplined to eat as many cookies as I can, like eat a whole pan of cookies because they're that good. And because I got some rugrats at the house that try to eat all the cookies before I do. So I'm disciplined to do that. We're, we're disciplined, but too many times it's about the wrong things. So what does right discipline look like? I want to share another principle with you this morning. It's simply this, that discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. Discipline is choosing what you want now and what you want most. Choosing between those two things. Do I want the urge that I have right now to eat that tray of cookies or do I want something more? Do I want to you know, survive to be 35 years old? Do I, want to, you know, do, I, do I want to do that or do I want what's now or do I want what I want most? Uh, what, what do I want in the area of my life? I think if you see good things in others, you see a good marriage, you'll discover that whether... Knowingly or unknowingly, there is a set of disciplines in that couple's life, date nights, mentors, people that's, that help them and strengthen them and conflict resolution. There, is, there are habits that are creating the health in their marriage. If you see people that have finances that are in order, you'll discover that those things did not happen by accident. Like no one wakes up and naturally just says, oh, I'm a millionaire. I'm naturally out of debt. This is amazing. I don't have anything that I owe. My house is paid for. My cars are paid for. This is absolutely amazing. I did not even expect this to happen. This is awesome. Like I won the Powerball. This is awesome. That's the only way that's going to happen, right? Because Life happens and, and bills happen and, and situations happen. And if we want to have health, then we have to be intentional. You see someone who's naturally, who's someone who has fitness or health or is athletic, you'll understand that they're, you'll discover that there are some things in life they're choosing to do most over what they want now. Choosing not to buy the new car because they, they want most to be out of debt. Choosing to, to, to take a night that they, that they would be, they're already busy, too busy, but they take a night and they go through financial peace small group. Why? Because they, they want, more than they want their time to, to sit at home and relax, they would rather make sure that they can be debt free and be able to be generous and make a difference. And it's choosing what, but choosing between what you want now and choosing what you want most. So if it's that easy, then why don't we do it? Well, we don't do it because it's, 
it's a lot easier to say than it is to do. You know, that's, that's the hard thing about preaching, by the way. It's real easy to say certain things, have discipline, have habits in your life, but I promise it's a whole lot harder to live out what we're talking about. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11 says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it's painful. <laughs> like it's not gonna be easy. It's not gonna be easy to get out of debt. It's not gonna be easy to lose the weight. It's not gonna be easy to be able to have your family in a way where, where, where it's the goal. Like it's going to be difficult, but it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. We wonder why. Why am I inconsistent? Why are there things I want to do? There's probably things on your 2016 resolution list that were on your 2015 resolution list, and, and we didn't accomplish it. And, and, and I don't know if you're ever like me, and you think, you're like, why can't you do this? Why can't you beat this? Why can't you do this thing? It's your goal. You're smart enough. You can do this. Why can't, why can't, you, why can't you make this happen? I don't understand. Well, if you've ever felt that way, I was so encouraged this week as I was looking at the scripture, I was so encouraged by one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, named the Apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the books of the New Testament. He was one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, and you would think if he was one of the greatest Christians ever lived, then he would not have problems like we would have problems, and struggles like we would have struggles, like he would have this discipline thing all down pat. But I want you to look in your notes at what he says. I was so encouraged by this. I was, so, I was so inspired by his ability to take the mask off and just to be real about what he was struggling with. And, and I'll be honest. I said, Lord, let City Hills Church be a place where we can be authentic about our struggles and our pain. Small groups are coming up. Very, and here, here's the reality. Small groups are that place where you can take the mask off and say, I'm dealing with some issues. I need some help. Would you please, would you please be there? Would you please help me? I don't know what to do. No one's ever shown me. I don't have the right examples. Would you be there for me? That's, I just pray, God, let this be a place like this, like the Apostle Paul is showing us. Let this be a place where we can be real, where we can be authentic about who we are in you and our struggles. It says, Watch what Paul says. He says, I don't understand myself. That was so encouraging to me. He said, I don't get myself. He said, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Sound like any of us? God, I have the best of intentions, but I just can't pull it off. He says, but what I do, but if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It's sin that's living in me. In other words, there's just something in me that's pulling me, a gravitational pull toward the wrong things. He said, I've discovered that this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. And he says, oh, miserable person that I am, who can free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. The word, uh, that, that phrase in the King James Version of the Bible actually says this, who can deliver me from the body of this death? And I find it so interesting, the word picture that Paul uses there, because he and his listeners, those who would read this letter, would be very well versed with the idea of a body of death. Because it was a form of torture that would take place during Paul's day. That someone that would be punished, instead of being placed in prison, or sometimes in prison, whenever they were locked in chain, they would actually be chained and tied to a dead corpse. It's 
gruesome to think about. But they would be tied to a corpse, and everywhere they would go, they would have to drag this corpse with them. And before long, the disease and the decaying of the corpse would actually get on their body and begin to destroy them. And this is the language that Paul uses, that I feel like I'm carrying around a dead body. I feel like there is this dead thing on me that I do not know what to do with. There is this body of death that I'm trying to do the right thing, but I don't know what to do. I I, I cannot do it on my own. I want to bring some hope to you today because Paul doesn't end there. He says, but I thank God that we have the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says that, yes, I struggle. Yes, I don't understand myself. Yes, I've made some mistakes along the way, but God still has a purpose in my life. And I want to tell you this morning, no matter how many mistakes that you've made, no matter how much you don't understand yourself, no matter how much guilt, shame, and condemnation you feel because of the mistakes and the habits and the decision you've made, I want you to know that there is hope, and the hope's not in yourself. The hope's not in your ability to change or to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. The hope is in Jesus Christ. He says, the hope's not a principle. The hope's not a self-help book. The hope is a person. It's Jesus Christ. It's not self-help, it's not self-confidence, it's not self-discipline, but it's actually allowing the strength of Christ to reign in our lives. That there's hope. I, I saw, um, I, I, was, I was reading a research paper this week about the, how we make decisions. And in the research paper it said that there, were, there are two ways that we make decisions. We have an unconscious brain unconscious decision-making process, and then we have a conscious decision-making process. And this uh, researcher, this doctor, he specialized in trying to cure people of their phobias of animals. And what he would do, he would work with a local zoo, he would find out what phobias people had, he would advertise it, and then people would come, and he would bring them in to say they would have a fear of snakes. He would bring them into where the snakes are and begin to heal them of their phobias. It scares me to death just saying that, just thinking about that. But, but here's what he discovered, is that the unconscious brain makes decisions for us before our conscious brain actually does. That, that we automatically make a decision based on our past, based on, what we've all, based on years and years and years of training or a bad situation. For example, in regard to maybe a snake or something like that, he would show them that the snake would not hurt them, would not harm them. He would educate them about the realities of this. And then what he found was, was astounding. He found that if he could get that person to face their fear for seven seconds... That the unconscious brain for those first seven seconds were just freaking out and going crazy. But on second number eight, their conscious brain would take over and would make the decision that they were ready to break that and they understood, but they had never allowed themselves to to get to that place. It was just their unconscious self making that decision. And if they could face that for seven seconds, it was like on that eighth second that they began to actually make the decision based on what they wanted to do, not just their unconscious self. And I thought that was so interesting, that seven seconds idea that, that, that I think it just really related to this idea that, that there's this way that we can live life where we're dominated by our unconscious fears and unconscious anxieties about life or about following God or about making decisions. And we just have already made up in our mind, we can never do what 
God's called us to do. We can never face our fears. We can never make, we can never deal with this addiction. We can never ever get past it. Maybe it's something in our past. Maybe it's something someone said over you years ago. But I believe if we can make the decision to follow God, even though it doesn't feel like we're, we, we should, that God begins to show up and do something awesome in our lives. I experienced this in 21 days of prayer and fasting whenever we would meet. Many of us met at the church office at 6 a.m. And to do that, I was getting up at like 4.15 and 4.30 in the morning. I promise you, my unconscious self was not interested at all at praying at 4.15. I don't know that I've ever been interested in praying at 4.15. I just want to, if I wake up at 4.15, usually the prayer that goes through my mind is, God, could you like stop time so I can sleep another couple hours before I have to get out of this bed? <laughs> But he never does. I don't know. I got to get up. But whenever I go and pray at the church, there's never one day that I came home thinking, what a wasted day. Like every time I'm so thankful, I pushed through the habitual things that I wanted to do so that I could could put myself in God's hands in an even greater way in 2016. See, just a picture of every aspect of our life. What decisions are we making? And are we choosing it naturally? Are we making it unconsciously? Um, I was um, thinking through what are some of the toxicities of our habits that live inside of us. We're talking about detoxing and getting out some of these toxic habits. And I just want to kind of dig into that a little bit. Here's, here's the first thing that happens with a toxic habit. is our toxic habit, it becomes our identity. This is not in your notes, but I just, uh, just want to kind of walk you through this process. First of all, there's a ha- those habits become our identity. We say, well, it's just who I am. I've always done this. My family is this way, and it's the way I always will be. See, the enemy, well, he has you right where he wants you to be whenever he thinks you can never get past your past. I'm reminded of the scripture that says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away, and all things have become new. You may have done what the enemy says you did, like guilty, But I want to encourage you, you're not who the enemy says you are. You may have made a mistake, but you are not a mistake. You're a child of God. You're someone who's made by the fingerprint of Almighty God. And you are not your mistakes. Secondly, firstly, we, we, we begin to identify with our mistakes. Secondly, we become hopeless in our mistakes. We just give up. We say, I'm just, it's hopeless. I I can't ever break this habit. It's just year after year after year after after year. I just cannot break this hopeless situation. I want to encourage you this morning to let you know that God specializes in hopeless situations. Like God specializes in taking the things that we try ourselves and taking them over and giving us strength to be able to overcome it. The third thing that happens is we we begin to justify our habits, and we become defensive. Someone confronts us about our issue, and we immediately throw up, well, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how I was raised. You don't know what mom or dad, or you, you, you just begin to blame everybody else, and instead of owning the decisions that you're making, instead of taking responsibility for your own life, you and I just become defensive, and we justify it, and then number four, we become a slave to it, and ultimately... We die. Ultimately, we die because of the toxic habits that we refuse to get out of our lives. I want to tell you this morning, you may have added some unnecessary chapters to your story. 
There may be some mistakes that you've made along the way. But I want you to know that regardless of the mistakes and the extra chapters that you've put in your story, if you'll give the rest of your story to God, you'll understand that He could take even the bad things that you did or that maybe other people did to you, and He can write that for good. Like, He can use that to be part of the story. I think about it like a, like a movie. I don't know if you've ever been in a, watching a movie before and you think, I don't understand where this is going. Like this doesn't make sense. And then just a little bit later, toward the end, it's just like all comes clear and it just makes sense. That's, that's, you understood that the author was working it the entire time. Like there was a purpose in that and he was able to weave that as being part of the story. And maybe there are things in your life you think, you know, it's too far gone. God could never use me. I've made too many mistakes. It's just too far gone for God to ever use this in my story and I want you to know that God's got it if you'll just trust him with it like God will take that part of your story and he'll weave it and he'll work it for good he wants to give you victory see too many times we forget who we have inside of us we forgot what we forget what's on the inside of us we're like the we're like the disciples I got thinking about them this week there's this time in the scripture where they're in the boat and a storm comes up on, on their sea on, on the in, in the and they're in the boat and the, and the waves and wind are going all around them and they're just freaking out they're ready to die they're ready to jump over they're ready for it to all be over and then the Bible says that they forgot something that Jesus was asleep in the bow of the boat as a matter of fact Jesus actually brought a pillow on the journey. And he was sleeping on a pillow on the journey. So the thing that had them all freaking out, Jesus is down in their boat asleep and he's got it all in control. I want to tell you that, that, that Jesus has it all in control. And if you're a child of God, I want you to know that you have, some, you have Christ inside of you. You don't have to be dominated by the habits of this world and the addictions that want to overtake your life. You are a son and a daughter of God. Like you have Jesus Christ on the inside of you and no storm is any match for the one who made the winds and the way. Like no storm is, is a match for the creator of the world. Like he's on the inside of you. The enemy cannot keep you from your destiny because who you are, like God created you to be victorious. You're made to be a victor, not a victim. You're made to be someone who's able to stand up and fight against the things that want to destroy your life and the lives of those around you. Not be dominated by these habits that are destroying us, but actually dominate the enemy and make a difference. Don't be discouraged. Jesus is in your boat. I want to take us now to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Because Paul gives us a powerful principle about life and simply says this, that we, are, that we need to take confidence and courage that, that, that God, we're destined to win. Like God purposed us and God planned us to have a life of victory. And he describes it as, as a race. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Uh, let's look at it together. It says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Paul says, hey, hey, guys, you got to understand, you are in a race. I want to pull some principles out of this. I think the first principle Paul wants to tell us is we need to own it. Like we need to own the fact that we are in a race. Like, 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 I wanted you to circle in your notes that word realize. Like, 
I want you to realize that you are in a race. Like, realize you're not just arbitrarily living life. You're not just arbitrarily working a job. Like, you are in a race for your life. You are in a race. Like, there is a purpose that you have, and you need to own it. You need to get rid of the excuses in your life. Whatever excuses are keeping you from change, whatever excuses are keeping you back from that purpose, it's time to own that and realize I'm in a race and I I cannot keep making excuses. Benjamin Franklin said, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Heard a story of a man one time that had some issues and struggles in his life and and there was this preacher and and he, he, he really... Uh, got to a point in his sermon, and he thought, man, this guy really needs this. So he started preaching about this guy. He said, man, he just started talking. You know, without calling his name, he just went down, every, like all his whole situation, just boom, 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 like all these, I'm just stepping all over his toes. I don't know if you've ever been to a church like that, where the preacher just step all over somebody's toes. You know, they pick your sermon by, pick their sermon by, you know, kind of what somebody walks in or whatever, you know, they're just ready to step. So anyways, this preacher was doing this, and after the sermon was over, this man came up to the preacher and said, oh, man, Pastor, you sure got them this morning. Like, you took care of them. Oh, man, they, they, just, they just needed that. And uh, so, so he, did, he did it the next Sunday. He got even stronger, and he just got even more pointed preaching again. And the guy again came up to him. He said, oh, Pastor, that was such a good sermon. And the pastor's excited. He said, oh, you really preached to them. Like, they really needed to hear it. He still could not see that he had the issue in his heart. And finally, there was a, there was a snowstorm that took place, and and, and nobody came to church except that one man. And the pastor was about to dismiss church and cancel it because of, because of the snow. And he thought, no, this is my chance. So he got up and he preached his heart out to that one man about his situation, his need. And then the guy came up. He thought, this is my chance. I'm going to get him this time. And then whenever it was all said and done, the man came up to him. He said, if they would have been here, if they would have been here, you would have really it's been preaching right to him. Like he, he had an inability to see himself in the mirror that he needed to own it. Here's the second thing that he said, all, dis, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They, they, they're disciplined in their training. The second thing we need to do is make the break. Make the break. Like he said, the athletes are making a decision to let go of some things because, so they can train. This, this uh, allegory that the Apostle Paul's using it would, be, would have been very uh, common to the people of this day because in Corinth, the, the, the city that he was writing this letter to had kind of like an Olympic Games. They called it the Ithmian Games. And there, it was a big race that people would, um, you know, it was a big patriotic pride, just like the Olympics are for us today. And the, the Ithmian Games were a huge deal. So he's telling them that, hey, there are these athletes that they're training to run, and they make sacrifices to be able to do this. I did a little research, and all the athletes, they, it was a 10-month at least uh, time period of special training that they would do. They had a very strict diet. They couldn't eat junk food. They had to endure extreme heat, extreme cold. They, they had all these things that they had to leave their families. It was, it was something where they made sure they were disciplining themselves. They were making the break with anything that would cause them or that would hinder them from being able to run. And it got to the point where they didn't have Nikes like we do. They didn't have, you know, awesome jogging suits or whatever, you know, like the, the, the tidy, tidy things that they have at the Olympics. Olympics. But so what, what did they do? They just stripped it down. Like they just stripped down in the, in the buff and they, that's how they ran. 
in these days. That's why it makes sense whenever Paul, Paul says to the Hebrews, he says, he says we, we lay aside everything that hinders. <laughs> like we just take it off and they, I guess it gives you a good reason to be in the front of the pack. Like nobody wants to be in the back of that race. That's bad. <laughs> they, were, they were running to win, right? But, but Paul was using that as, a, as, a, as, a, as saying there needs to be some things that if we're going to accomplish our purpose, we have to break off from, some, from certain things. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a substance. Maybe it's something that we're doing that we, that we need to make a decision to run from those things so that we can run to win. And here's the last thing that he says. He says, I run with purpose in every step. He said, I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. And here's the third aspect is fill the void. He said in every step, take a step. A lot of times we take the wrong things out of our lives, but we refuse to fill it with the right things. We take the the wrong habits out, but we don't replace it with right habits. And I love what Paul says. He says, I find purpose in every step. He doesn't say I find purpose in 10 miles of running. I find purpose after I've ran a marathon. He says, I've made up in my mind that I am finding purpose in, hu- in not just in huge things, but I'm going to make small adjustments in my life. I'm going to stop doing some things that are harmful, and I'm going to begin to replace those things with things that are helpful. So I want to ask you a question this morning. What do you want most? What do you want most? What is it in your life in 2016 that you feel the Lord leading you to say, it's, it's time to change? Maybe you say, I need help in my marriage. I need help in that relationship in my life. I need, I need help with my future. I need help. I need to lose some 30 pounds. I don't know. I need to lose some weight. Like I need to make some health decisions this year. I need to maybe quit smoking or I really want to get promoted at my job. I really want to take steps forward in my career or, Maybe you say, I would really like to be close to God again. I'd really like to give my life over completely to Jesus. I, I'd like to get my cholesterol down. I'd like to get myself free from pornography. I'd like to get new things in my life. I'd like to get out of debt. What do you want most? Like, what is the thing in your life that you want more than anything else this year? And here's the second thing I want to ask. What do you need to do now to have what you want most? I want to challenge you this morning to make a decision about something now. Not a huge thing, not a wholesale change, but what is something that you can change right now, like today? Something that you can change right now. Maybe hire a trainer. Maybe you, you, want, to grow, you want to grow physically, hire a trainer. You want to grow spiritually, maybe download the City Hills app or another devotional app or the YouVersion Bible app. And before you check Facebook and Twitter in the morning, just, you don't, you don't have to read the whole book of James. You don't have to read, you know, quote the book of Philemon. You don't have to do that. No, just, just read the chapter that's listed right there on the church app and and, and or, or listen to it in the what's a small thing you can do? Maybe you have a you want most, you want your kids to serve God, you want to have a family that's that they're serving the Lord. Maybe it begins with just making a commitment to say tonight before we go to bed, we're gonna read a verse of the Bible and we're gonna pray. Or maybe it's saying, I need some better relationships in my life. I'm gonna make a commitment to join a small group, or maybe you say I, this year's the year I need to get some financial things in order and 
Maybe you need to go right after this and go sign up at the connections desk to say, I want to be a part of the Financial Peace University. I, I want to get things in order this year and I want to make a small step. I don't know what it is in your life, but what do you want most and what is God leading you to do now? I love Zechariah chapter four and verse 10. It says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. So we, want, we want big things. Like we're all dreaming about what's gonna be. But God says, no, no, no. Don't despise this little small choice that you're gonna make here on January 24, 2016. I believe there are gonna be some things that we're gonna look back years from now and you're gonna say, yeah, during that series, that detox series, this is whenever I made this small change. And we're gonna talk years from now and you're gonna say, look what the Lord has done with something so small. Because the scripture says, don't, dis- don't despise the day of small things. I found this so encouraging. It says, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Just got that in my mind, that picture that God is just rejoicing in heaven right now. Like as people make, are making a decision to say, I'm ready to make some changes in my life. God's like, yes, this is awesome. So the Bible says that there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels when one sinner repents. Why? Because that's the beginning. Because God's just going crazy. He's rejoicing at that small step that we're taking that changes everything. You see, we don't move in the direction of our intentions. We move in the direction of our decisions. I could be going on 75 I could, I could have the biggest desire to go to Lexington. Say, man, I love Lexington. I love UK. We need to pray for our team so that we could win a little bit more. We need, we need a ninth championship, Lord. Um, that has nothing to do with my message. But I could be going to, um, Lex- I could say, Lord, I just love Lexington. I love Rupp Arena. I love UK basketball. I'm so excited about basketball. I'm so excited about Lexington. I just love, I love driving up there. But all the while, I'm going on 75 south to Chattanooga. Like, as long as my foot's on the gas to Chattanooga, it doesn't matter how bad I want to go to Lexington. It doesn't matter how much I want to go to a game and see my favorite basketball team. It doesn't matter because I'm going in the opposite direction. Some of us, I would say that we all have the best of intentions. My question is, what decisions are we making? One turnaround changes everything. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to pray for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to make the decisions that you've put on our heart. We all have things that we wish we could change. Lord, and I know that's from you. I know that you have called us to greater things. God, you've called us to be an excellent people. Lord, you've called us to be a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. Lord, that there will be other people around us that we don't have to throw tracks at people to try to get them to come to church, but they look at our lives shining so bright and they say, what do you have? I want it. I need to live the way you're living. God, would you help us to be that shining city on a hill? God, make it so clear the one decision we need to make today that will change 2016 for us. They'll change our lives spiritually, change our lives physically, emotionally, financially, God. Help us 
to make the right decision in Jesus' name. If you're here today and you need to make the most important decision of all, you need to follow Jesus. You need to give your life to him. I want to give you a chance to do that. Where where you are, no one's looking around. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, it's simply this. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I just want you right there where you are just to, to, to pray this simple prayer to say, God, forgive me of my sin. It's a simply, it's a turnaround prayer. And if that's you, we're gonna, there's going to be others praying along with you. I'll help you with the words, but you just mean it. God's rejoicing right now. Simply say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I give my life to you. I've been going my own way, doing my own thing. But it's time for a change. I make you the Lord of my life. I want to follow you wherever you lead. I trust you, God. Forgive me. Fill me with your spirit. Give me strength and power to follow you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.